Hey, uh, go ahead and open up your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. It's where we're going to be this morning. So uh, about nine years ago, my wife entered an essay contest and she won. It was awesome. Okay. Uh, not only was it awesome because she won the contest and that's really exciting, but it is also because there was a prize attached to this essay contest. She won our whole family a three-day, two-night trip to Disneyland from an essay contest. Yes, it was so awesome. Okay, so it was great. It was airfare was included. Uh, we got hotel at the Disneyland Grand Californian, which was so awesome. All right. Uh, food was included. Uh, three days of park hopper passes, all that stuff. We even had a special banquet that we got to go to uh, for this thing. It, mean, it was super sweet. So one night, uh, it was getting kind of late, but we wanted to do one more ride before we went back to the hotel and then put the kids to bed. And so we decided to do the kids switch thing over at the Tower of Terror, okay? You guys know this ride? Okay, the Tower of Terror is this ride where it's basically a, a giant elevator. You get in this elevator and you get strapped down in a little seat and the elevator kind of shoots you way up high and then it shoots you down low and you start going up and down really fast and, it, and it's random every time and all that sort of stuff. And you look at the outside of it and the whole thing looks terrifying. It's got all these like, you know, it looks like it's like all run down and like it's going to break down at any moment and all this sort of stuff. And so my daughter Taylor, she was five years old at the time, uh, I'm walking over to go on the ride and she's, she starts crying. She's like, Daddy, no, don't go. And I was like, what's, what's the matter? She was convinced that I was not coming back. Like if I went on this thing, <laughs> that I was not going to make it back. Now, I had to explain to her, the ride's perfectly safe. And actually, we, we, re recently I went back and looked and, and the Tower of Terror, Terror really has never had any major problems uh, in it at all. Um, however, elevators in themselves have uh, in, the, in the past. In fact, the elevator as we know it today was invented around 1800, and it wasn't until 1853 that that um, uh, emergency braking system was invented. So before 1853, getting on an elevator was really putting your life into your hands, okay? Um, the guy that invented it, his name was Elisha Otis. You may recognize the name Otis from like Otis Elevators. Those are still around. And this is what he made. He made this emergency braking system, and this is how he would sell it to people. He would, he would actually have a whole crowd of people, and he'd have this open elevator that would take him up three stories in the air. And then he would intentionally cut the cable where it would drop a little bit and then all of a sudden it would stop and he would be safe. Everybody would be like amazed. What kind of faith do you have to have in your own abilities <laughs> to be able to do that? To actually stand on the elevator and trust that it's going to catch you before you fall. The truth is, is we don't trust like this very often. We really don't. And I think it's because we're so used to our stuff breaking. We're so used to things falling apart. We're so used to people making promises to us and having them fail on us, right? We're so used to infomercials that tell us, hey, here's the miracle solution that you can get for only four easy payments of $29.95 and all that stuff. Like we're used to that and then all of it not actually working out. And so we become skeptical. When people make promises to us, we actually don't believe them. And I think we start to project this same skepticism on God. That God makes promises to us and we're like, ah, I don't know if he's actually going to come through. I don't know that he's going to make good on that promise. And so what happens? We try to do it ourselves. We run from one thing to the next trying to 
protect ourselves, provide, ourse- provide for ourselves, do all this, when really we need to be trusting the Lord for all these things. Well, in our story, Ruth and Naomi have spent the last seven weeks in Bethlehem. And they're enjoying the, the, the care and provision of Boaz. They're gleaning in his field and all that sort of stuff. But now it's time for Ruth to step out on faith a little bit. It's time to be redeemed. And here in chapter 3, Ruth is going to display trust. Really, this is faith, where she's willing to bet everything on it. And that's what we're going to see today. I think in this chapter, you guys, we're actually going to see four key aspects of faith. Ones that, that help us to understand what faith is and, and really what faith does in our life. We're going to see how faith produces action, how faith takes risks, how faith is grounded on promises, and how faith requires waiting. And so if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand as I read Ruth chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But, But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we we thank you for your word, and today we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and help us to understand your word and to apply it to our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat, everyone. All right, so... Ruth and Naomi, like I said, he's been, they've been hanging out in Bethlehem for seven weeks. They've been enjoying this provision from Boaz. But Naomi's concern at this point is not for their day-to-day provision. Their, her concern really is for Ruth finding rest, is what she says. And when she says rest, what she really means is she's looking for Ruth to have a husband, to have a family, to be provided for, to be taken care of. She's trying to secure her future. And so here in chapter 3, she sees that there's actually now an opportunity to do something about this. Because Boaz, Boaz is going to be down at the threshing floor tonight. He's going to be threshing out all of that barley. There's going to be a huge pile of barley, and he's going to be sleeping there, probably to protect it. So we know where he's going to be. He's going to be alone. And so Ruth, wash up. Put on some perfume. Put on your best cloak. Go down there. Go down there. And present yourself to Boaz. Now, Naomi's instructions here at first seem a little bit ambiguous, don't they? Like, is, is Naomi asking Ruth to do something that's inappropriate is kind of the question. Naomi tells her to not say anything to Boaz, but instead says to say nothing and let him take the initiative. And, but the, th- the problem with that is that so far we've seen Ruth to be a very honorable woman. Like, Like, she would not do something inappropriate in this instance. She's been faithful and honest and noble. So if Naomi's asking her to do something wrong here, it would really be out of character for Ruth to do it, okay? But what is clear 
is that Naomi is giving Ruth some instructions. And these instructions are really an act of faith. She's to go down there and trust that Boaz is a good man, that he's a redeemer. So go and present yourself to him. Okay, and this is really the first aspect of faith that we see in our story. That faith produces action. Okay, so listen to this. If faith produces action, what we're talking about here is that faith is not just passively believing in something. It's not just assenting to the idea of something. True faith will always move you to action. It will always move you to do something. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you were absolutely convinced that Disney stock was going to skyrocket in the next six months. It was going to triple, even quadruple in value. Wouldn't you put every dime you had in Disney? Like, if you were convinced of it, like you, you absolutely knew for certain, why wouldn't you? So this faith, this belief, is going to lead you to action. Does that make sense? Faith is going to lead you to action. It informs your decisions. A few years ago, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who's a general contractor. And he was really growing in his faith at the time. He was... He, he wanted to sit down with me because he had an idea and he wanted to kind of bounce it off of somebody. He said, you know, in my, in, my, uh, in my business, most general contractors do not tell you like what everything costs. They just give you kind of like the final total. This is what it costs. And they do that because then they can, you know, they, they don't have to show you how much their cut is at the end of the day. And that's just sort of the common practice of general, uh, general contractors. But he's like, you know, I... I want to do something differently. I'm wanting to maybe see if I can just up my game when it comes to the honesty that I have with my clients. So, so what I want to do is I want to go to completely open book billing. I want, to, I want to give them a bill at the end of the day that lists out, this is what everything costs. This is my cut. And he, and he, he did that. He went ahead and, and started that. And you know what he found? He found that he got more repeat business because his clients truly respected him and trusted him at the end of the day. His faith and his desire to have more integrity in the way, led him to want to have more integrity in what he was doing in his business practices, and he put that into action. And it ended up blessing him uh, really immensely. You know, I think we're, we're faced with decisions every day. We're faced with, with, with real life situations and decisions. Like, if we're dating someone, we're, we're faced with the decisions about what boundaries should I have in my dating relationships? We're, we're faced with decisions about our job. How should I handle things with this job that I have? How do I handle my finances every single day? If you're married, there's a question of, how do I handle conflict in my marriage? What happens when things get strained? What about my kids? If you have kids, then, then you know that every day there's decisions to make about how to handle situations with your kids. And I think that, the question we have to wrestle with here is this, is as Christians, how, do the, how does my faith inform every decision that I make? How does my faith inform every decision that I make? See, faith is always going to produce action. But faith is also going to take risks. Faith is also going to take risks. Now remember in our story, this is all happening at the time of the judges, Okay. This is kind of like the Wild West of, of the time of, of Israel, okay? And everyone did what was right in their own eyes, is what it says. 
So we already know that for a young woman to go down to, the, to glean in the fields, we, we talked about this last week, that it would be very dangerous for her, right? But that was during the day. What about at night? Wouldn't that even be more dangerous? It would be, it would be especially dangerous. It would be like strolling through a kind of a, a shady neighborhood in the middle of the night. And so in order for Ruth to put her faith into action, she's got to put her life at risk in some ways. Let's go to verse 6. Look at what happens. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly, she came secretly, and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. All right, let's pause right there. First of all, Ruth is putting her physical body at risk just by going out at night, okay? That's one thing. But she's also putting herself at risk by showing up uh, at Boaz's feet while he's trying to guard this, this big old heap of grain. I mean, I mean, if he's trying to guard it from people coming up and then she, he sees like this cloaked figure at his feet, he's probably like, ah, like, so there's some physical harm that could be happening there. So that's the first thing. But the thing that Ruth is also, also risking is her good reputation. See, she has been in Bethlehem for these seven weeks and, and people really respect her. She's known for her faithfulness to Naomi. She's known for her work ethic. But now she's approaching a man under the cover of night, lying down at his feet. There's no one else around. If this is found out, what are the people of Bethlehem going to say? What are the people of Bethlehem going to do to her? This is really a dangerous plan to secure Ruth's future. I think that having faith in Christ is really risky as well. It's really risky. See, like Ruth, when we put our faith in our Redeemer, it leads us to abandon all other securities. We're abandoning all other securities because we believe that the best security is found in Him. Does that make sense? And so, just think about it. Like, just by becoming a Christian— you are putting yourself at risk. You're putting yourself at risk because you're putting yourself at odds with the rest of the world. It means that while you live here, this is not your home. That the people whose home this is are going to be at odds with you about this. And so you're going to put yourself at risk of being rejected. That you're going to have friends and family members, people that you really love and care about that may ostracize you for your faith. Think about giving for a second. Giving is really risky. I mean, week after week, we, we give a significant portion of our financial resources basically in order to say that we're trusting God in his provision to us. We're, we're surrendering and abandoning this false sense of financial security in ourselves to say, God, you're the one that provides. You're the one that's going to take care of me. So it's risky. What about telling others the gospel or inviting someone to church? That's risky. You might have an experience like that where maybe you're sitting down with a friend. You're, 
maybe having a cup of coffee or something like that with them and you're thinking, man, this would be a great time to invite them to church or this would be a great time to tell them about Jesus or tell them about my faith. But then all of a sudden some fear starts to creep in. What is that fear? It's a fear of, really, it's, it's a fear of risking, you're risking this relationship. You're risking maybe even your reputation with them. Maybe they're going to start to think you're one of those crazy church people if, if you talk too much about it. The question is, are we willing to risk being thought of as crazy or, or odd to tell others about the gospel? See, not only does faith produce action in our life, but faith also takes risks. Our faith in Christ is going to lead us to take risks for the kingdom of God. Well, back to the story. Boaz wakes up. It's dark. It's the middle of the night. He wakes up. He sees this, this woman at his feet. And now's the time for action. Ruth has to act. It's now or never. Look at verse 9. He says, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Okay. We have to unpack this one a little bit. Uh, so Naomi told her not to say anything. Remember that? But she's not going to do that. She's not going to be ambiguous. She's going to come right out. She's going to make her intentions known to Boaz. She says, spread your wings over your servant. What, is this, what does this mean? Okay. <laughs> so the word wings is the same Hebrew word as garment or the hem of a garment in Hebrew. And, and, and what's, what's interesting about this is if, if you saw a man in that culture take the hem of his garment and spread it over a woman like that, um, essentially what that would be is a marriage proposal. That's what that is. It's a marriage proposal. It'd be like this. Let's say you're at a fancy restaurant you know, the lights are low, there's candle lit, little tables everywhere. You see couples at every table, things like that. And across the room, you see a man get down on one knee, right? And you look over there, you're like, oh, he's going to pop the question. I know what's going on. I know what's going on. Okay, that's what's happening here. If someone was to spread the hem of their garment over, to, over a woman, it was this picture of care. It was this picture of, I, I want you to come under my care and provision. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to come under my wing. Does that make sense? Okay, and so she doesn't, Ruth is, she's like, I'm not here for a night of passion. I'm not, I'm not here for any of that. I, I want commitment. So she proposes marriage to him. And this is our third point about faith, is that faith is grounded on promises. Look at the grounds for which she proposes marriage. She says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. She doesn't ask for marriage based on how great she is. No, she doesn't say like, hey, you know, you've seen how faithful I've been to Naomi. I'm a hard worker. I'm so beautiful. We don't even know what she looks like. The Bible never tells us, okay? She says, Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Ruth's proposal is grounded in Boaz's promise to be a redeemer. And so faith is grounded on promises. When we call on the name of the Lord for salvation, when we ask him to save us, we're not asking for salvation based on our own merits. 
That would be ridiculous. We don't go to God and say, God, would you just save me? Because look, you know, I go to church fairly regularly and um, I'm, you know, I'm a really good person and I gave some money away and I've you know, been really good to my family and I try to take care of my neighbors. Well, except for that one neighbor because he's kind of a jerk, but you know, he deserved it anyway. Uh, you know, we don't do that. We don't go to God and try to ask for salvation based on our own merits because you guys, if we appeal to God that way, he would turn us down. He would turn us down. We don't meet the standard of perfect holiness that he has required of us. We don't deserve to go into his heaven. We don't deserve it. No human being in all of human history has ever attained it on their own merit. Except for one. He did everything right. He followed the law perfectly. He attained that perfect standard of holiness that God requires, and he still died on a cross. When he went to the cross, he took all of our sin, right? He took all of the things that we did in order to deserve death, in order to not meet the standard of holiness. And he took that upon himself. And it, while he was nailed to the cross, when he died, all of that sin and unrighteousness died with him. But here's the beautiful thing, is that he took his perfect righteousness, the, the righteousness that he attained, and he gives it to us. So that when we stand before God, we can stand there and God will see that perfect righteousness that we're welcomed into heaven because of what Jesus did. We are welcomed into heaven, not based on our own merit, but based on Jesus' promise to us to be a redeemer. I think 1 John 1.9 is a beautiful summary of God's covenant promise to us to be a redeemer. This is definitely one to memorize if you guys want to memorize a Bible verse. He says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. That's a promise. That's a promise. And God always does what he promises. Look at how Boaz responds. Look at this. Verse 10. Boaz said, if, if, uh, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So a couple things with this. The first is that we see that there's another redeemer. One that is a closer relative to Naomi than Boaz is. Okay? And so he needs to be consulted first. They need to talk with him and see if he will redeem her first. But despite this little complication, 
Boaz ensures her that she will be redeemed. He says, do not fear. He says, look at the very end. He says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He swears by the name of the Lord that she will be taken care of. Church, God has promised redemption. He has promised it. He asks you to simply confess your sin and to trust in that promise. To just trust in that promise and that's it. And you can know for certain that it will happen because God always does what he promises. So faith produces action, right? Faith takes risks. Faith is grounded on promises. And now we're going to see the fourth and final aspect of faith that we're going to see in this passage, starting at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. So it's still dark out. It's very early. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. See, he wants to, he wants to protect her reputation. Nothing happened, nothing inappropriate happened, but, but he wants to make sure that other people didn't think anything inappropriate took place. Verse 15, he said, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Six measures, what is this? Well, last week we saw her carrying a 50-pound bag of barley. This is more like 80 pounds. It's like 80 pounds of barley. So we may not have a description of what Ruth looked like, but I'm thinking she's pretty strong, <laughs> okay? Um, and it says, then she went into the city. Verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? I'm sure Naomi didn't sleep a wink. She's like, <laughs> she's like, how did it go? Are you Mrs. Boaz yet? Right? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then look what Naomi says. This is so interesting. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but settle the matter today. Our Redeemer will not rest until he has given us the rest that he's promised us. Isn't that cool? But her response here is to wait. Is to wait. And that brings us to that fourth aspect, that faith requires waiting. Faith requires waiting. Ultimately, Ruth has to wait and see how this whole thing is going to turn out. Naomi says to wait, and there's so many things that are unsettled. There's so many questions that we have now. Like, is Boaz really going to make good on his promise? Um, who is this other redeemer? And is he going to take her or is Boaz going to take her? And if the other redeemer takes her, then like, is he as, as going to be as good to Ruth as Boaz would be? Like, we don't know all this stuff. Now, we're going to find out next week. So that's my shameless plug for next week. So see you guys there. But faith requires waiting. There's a lot of things that I think that we are promised by God. And Many of these, in fact, most of these things have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has promised them to us and Jesus fulfilled them. But here's the thing. There's some promises that God has made that have not been fulfilled yet. There's some things that we are still waiting for. You know, the Bible promises us a new body. A new body. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, we all know our bodies 
age, our bodies fall apart, our bodies break. (laughs) But that's not what the new body does. The glorified body does not do any of those things. Our old body has sin that still dwells within it. And so while our spirit has been regenerated and wants to do the things to honor God and to love him and and to please him, our flesh does not want that. And so we live in a constant tension as Christians between our spirit that wants to follow God and our flesh that wants to please itself, right? But what we're promised is that we're going to get a new body that's redeemed, that's glorified. And one day when we get that new body, we will be freed from that bondage of sin so that we can actually do things to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Isn't that cool? That's promised to us. You know, Jesus promises us that he's going to return one day. When he left, he said, I'm going to come back for you. When he comes back, it's going to be an incredible day. An incredible day. When he returns, it's going to begin with a judgment. Where all the dead are raised. And Jesus will judge those who did not trust in him in this life. But those that did, those that did trust in him in this life will be welcomed into his kingdom. So for those who do not trust in Christ, it will be a terrifying day. But for those who do trust in Christ, it'll be a day of joy. It'll be a day that we actually long for. You know what else he promises us that we haven't seen yet is this new heavens and new earth. He promises us that after he returns and after this judgment that, that he, sees, he says that there's a new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of the clouds and it's going to be here on earth. In other words, heaven, that's, we're separated from heaven right now, but heaven is now going to come here. And earth is going to be restored to what it was meant to be. We're promised this. And you guys, we can't even begin to imagine what this is going to be like. We can't. Because it's like, the, Bible, the way the Bible describes it, it says, it says the wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. And they're going to be perfectly fine. They're not going to attack each other. It says, get this, it says that we're going to let our small children play over the hole of the cobra, is what it says. Can you imagine that? Like, what parent in their right mind would do that in this world? But you know what? In the new heavens and new earth, that's going to be the way of things. Because there's going to be nothing to fear. And Jesus is going to rule in that time. He is going to rule with goodness and righteousness and justice, with bringing joy and peace and unity and love. Like that is going to be the way of things. There's going to be a, it's going to be a place of, of feast with rich food and God will dwell with his people once again. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we hope for. Paul writes it this way. He says, Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so church, I want to leave you this morning with this thought that you would live by faith every day. You would live by faith every day. May you have faith that leads you to action. May the faith that you have allow you to take risks for the kingdom of God. 
May your faith be grounded on the covenant promises of God who says that he's coming back for us and that he will redeem you. And may your faith allow you to wait with eager expectation for that glorious day of his return. Let's pray together. Our Lord, I thank you so much for your promises to us. And I thank you that we know you to be a God who always does what you promise. You never forsake us. You never lie to us. You always do what you say. And I thank you that that even now, Lord, we can trust in these incredible promises that we can trust you, even though everything else in the world we, we really can't trust at the end of the day. But you, we can. We can trust in you. And so help us to do that today. Would you increase our faith? Would you grow us in this way today? And help us, Lord, every single day to live in such a way where every decision that we make is based on this on this trust in you. That we would look to you for those things. That we would seek your wisdom. That we would live by faith. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.